0: Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at bloomberg.com/techsf.
1: We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us get past this pandemic once and for all
2: we need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it the thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going oh i'm not so sure
1: hello you're listening to bloomberg westminster your daily guide to british politics i'm roger hearing
3: and a very good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. Roger, we begin with the vaccine rollout as more than a third of the population has now had a jab. It is good news for the government, which began the first easing out of lockdown, of course, yesterday.
1: But there are concerns about the economy because Britain's fiscal policy watchdog raised fresh doubts about whether the Treasury will actually be able to keep to the spending plans laid out in last week's budget. The Office of Budget Responsibility says there's a long list of legacy costs coming out of this pandemic and no explicit plans to meet those costs beyond this fiscal year.
3: The budget last week set aside no resources beyond next March to cover COVID-related costs, such as revaccination and test and trace programmes. And according to OBR calculations, the big tax rises announced in the budget will barely deliver Sunak's ambition to balance day-to-day spending and revenue by the middle of the decade.
1: Well, joining us now is Alexander Stafford, Conservative MP for Rother Valley, also member of the Commons, Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy Committee. Alexander, welcome to the programme and thanks for being with us i mean it is on the surface a little bit embarrassing if the government's own watchdog basically says the chancellor's sums don't add up
4: well i think what is clear is that we have spent an awful lot of money i think 280 billion pounds already another 60 billion in the budget to try and keep the economy afloat during the uh, during the pandemic and we know there's going to be some hard decisions down the line we've already made hard decisions at this budget and there's going to be further hard decisions because we need to pay that money back we need to get the spending back under control
3: But it's not about making hard decisions. It's just about whether you're being realistic or not about the legacy costs from the pandemic. I mean, there will be more costs. I mean, first of all, just for the vaccine programmes alone that we know are probably going to be ongoing for years to come. And that doesn't even include kind of school catch-ups and uh, more money for the NHS and so on. So it's, it's the fact that it's unrealistic.
4: Well, I think actually it's very realistic, the Chancellor and his budget, quite realistic plans, but also quite hard plans as well. And that's why we have made those hard decisions, but we all know there's going to be more difficult decisions down the line. And we know that, and that's the sad truth of the matter, we haven't been able to save every job, we won't be able to save every job. What we have done is put £280 billion already into the economy to keep the economy going, and we need to pay that back.
1: But, but Alexander, the point isn't, isn't that there had to be hard decisions and all that. The point is simply saying the OBR, which is an independent body, it's very highly respected in terms of its calculations, and it says that the big tax rises he's announced are barely going to deliver the ambition about balancing day-to-day spending and revenue, and that there are no resources beyond next March to cover COVID-related costs. I mean, that doesn't that just doesn't simply make sense in terms of forward planning, does it? Well, as, he,
4: as you talked about what's going forward with COVID, the Prime Minister has a clear roadmap. The vaccine programme is going exceptionally well. We're on the highest rates in the entire world. What is possible is, that, as you mentioned already, that there'll be a sort of a top-up jab potentially uh, end of this year, maybe next year, depending on the variants. But we are planning to get after this. This is not going to be an ongoing process with COVID. We are going to get through it. We have these effective vaccines and we are vaccinating our population at an incredible rate and we will get through the other end. So actually, I think now it's time for optimism looking forward. And we we can deal with its financial costs, and we will deal with the health costs. But we, there is that that light now in the tunnel. We are getting through this.
3: Yeah. Okay. Uh, universal condemnation, though, for the government's recommendation of a one percent pay rise for NHS staff. Is it going to be another U-turn here?
4: Well, let, let's 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 be be straight. As I said before there is no money. We have spent £280 billion on the pandemic, another £60 billion in, the, in the budget. Most sectors, are, public sectors, are getting a 0% pay rise. Most private sector people are taking a real-term uh, cut. So actually, we're just looking at the, the, the books. And, you know, the nurses' union has said they want a 12.5% increase, which is just not financially viable. We have to be realistic about that. I want to give our, our hard-working nurses our heroes money. Of course I do. But we have to look at the sums in front of us. But let's be honest, there have been so many heroes throughout this pandemic, those, you know, the people who collect the bins, sweep the streets, people who work in the checkout, and they're not getting any pay rise at all. In fact, quite a lot of them have been on 80% and been furloughed. So we need to be realistic about the the money and, and the costs. I'd like to give our, our nurses more. Of course I would. But we have to be realistic about but, the lack of money.
1: Well, Alex, you say there is no money, but there clearly is enough money to pay for some things. We know that by what was in the budget. I suppose it's really a simply of where you put the money that you have. And you say, well, there are lots of heroes. Yes, there are. But these people put their lives on the line, quite literally to do this. Complete, I
4: completely agree. Like, likewise, those those teachers as well, the police officers, the people behind the jacket, they're putting their life online to keep things going. And of course, we want to give more money to the NHS. Of course we do. Of course we want to have an like increased pay rise. But unfortunately, you've said yourself, you claim there's no money left. You said in the, in the interview that some don't add up. We're trying to balance the books at the same time. So I'd like to push for more, but 12.5% by the Nurses Union is just not physically possible and it's a great shame.
3: What happens if there's strike action?
4: Well, I hope there's no strike actions. I think during uh, a pandemic, there, I think the, the, the NHS should not go on on strikes. To be honest, we need to keep the people going. We need to keep our NHS going. And I think mm-hmm. it's actually irresponsible to talk about striking during a pandemic.
1: But that just shows the level of anger that's out there. I mean, if nothing else, I mean, your government, it has to be said, has been pretty tone deaf on a number of things. I mean, there's free school meals, for example. You had to do a twist on that, a U-turn on that. If you say things and get the wrong impression back, this government shows it'll turn around. Most people think that's what will happen with this as well.
4: Well, oh, who knows, well, you know, honest, this might be a start in the negotiation. After all, if you're asking for 12.5% of the pandemic when millions of people are losing their jobs, I think that, to be honest, is a very hard thing to swallow. We'll see what happens going forward. But as I said, this is a negotiation. As much money as we can should go to our hard-working NHS. Of course there is. But we've already spent £280 billion, another £60 billion in the budget. Mm-hmm. Money doesn't grow on trees. We need to get the economy going. And once again, millions of people have lost their jobs. Millions of people have taken a real terms pay cut, millions of people on furlough only eighty percent, and millions of people are taking a pay cut. We've got to look at this in the round. The economy is not in a good shape at all. Mm-hmm. The money isn't there and that's what we have to deal with. We have to do what we can. We have to be realistic about what's on the table at the moment.
3: Yeah, although, to um, we said, that the polling shows a great deal of support, certainly amongst the public, for giving NHS staff um, more money than that. But look, let's move on but to course, but another... But of
4: course, but everyone, people... No-one's denying we want to give more money to the NHS. No-one's saying hmm. we don't want to do that. We're just saying, how much money is there available? And yeah. it's great, we're actually giving a rise to the NHS. And, and to those, we want to give more, but there's just no more money. Of course we want to give more. Everyone agrees that. It's just there is no money available, unfortunately. Uh, okay. I, I hope it increases, though.
3: I hope it okay. increases. All right. Well, let's go to Brexit then. Uh, the other um, kind of enormous headache really for the government um, drawing up a plan to postpone no- new border checks on food imports from the EU coming into the UK in order to try to reduce, cut the risk of disruption to food supplies this summer. Doesn't this suggest that the post-Brexit so-called teething problems are actually a bit more than that?
4: Well, no, not at all. I think the the deal the Prime Minister secured in the year was a, was a superb deal. It's a deal that actually got us finally out of the European Union. Like with any trade negotiations, there's always going to take some time to get things back to normal. But what we're already seeing is that the, 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 the delays that we saw at the border uh, at the beginning of this year, they've practically gone down to, to like very little. There's still some delays, of course there are, but they're, they're only a matter of hours now rather than days as before. Wow. And we're just going to sort of develop a new relationship with the EU. And at the same time, great great, great trading relationships with across the global world. So I don't sound realistic. I think that's actually what it shows is we're being quite realistic about what the, the opportunities are out there. And also there are so many more new opportunities in other countries.
1: Well, you, you say that, but a lot of those have not as yet come to fruition because of the state we're in with the with pandemic. So that really hasn't been tested as yet. And what we has been tested to some extent is commerce across the channel. And right now it isn't working in the way that Boris Johnson said it would, you know, being being without any real problems at all. Well, of course, as I said, we had some delays
4: initially. They are, there's still some delays going on, of course, but I said, they're down to hours rather than days, uh, as, as they were before. We are moving forward. In fact, I'm even hosting a, a roundtable with businesses in like my constituency by the international trade to, literally tomorrow about exporting to the global world with this exciting new future now ahead of us. Where we can at last trade with the world and these great new opportunities. And that is what we need to power on and do.
3: Okay. Well, one of the um, issues perhaps with that will be um, the issues with the royal family, which surely will play into the image of the UK abroad. Keir Starmer says that the claims by Prince Harry that a senior royal made comments about the possible skin colour of his son need investigating. Do you agree?
4: Well, first of all, all racism is completely abhorrent. We need to find out obviously what the validity of those claims are. But what I would say is the Queen does an amazing job, head of the Commonwealth, and I don't think that we need to really put the pressure on her when her husband is in the hospital. But any claims of that should be looked into and they should be
1: investigated. So yes. So you, you okay, you're you're proving an investigation, you just seem to find out the validity. How should that be done? Is it a government matter? Is it a royal matter? How is it should it be done?
4: Uh, I, I, I don't run the rural household, so I, I, can't, I can't comment on that. No, no, but you said it should be
1: investigated, them, so the question is naturally Ooh. how.
4: However, the I'm sure there's a complaint procedure. I'm sure there will be ways for the, the rural household to investigate. Well, I, I, I'm not a rural myself. I, I can't speak for how, okay. the, for how the rural household speaks, I'm afraid.
3: Okay, what does this mean then for Britain's image abroad? I mean, the whole point is, you know, post-Brexit Britain, we're meant to be open to the world. Uh, Images that have been seen, accusations that have been seen around the world. I mean, this does need to be dealt with. The Prime Minister said he won't even make any comment about it.
4: I'm not sure what the question is there, to be honest. I mean, if, if there's it an issue... Does damage it be Britain's the best, if, if it's global best, it image? The, I don't think... I think the Queen and the royal family do an amazing job. They are the biggest export that we have across the globe. They they are just great. And I think, are oh, their image is not tarnished in the slightest. I just think it's disappointing uh, that, you know, if royals want to stop being royals and, and want to, and, and stop wanting to be, take part in their, their civic duties, that's completely up to them. And they thought they should not be supported by the taxpayer.
1: Now we're going to look at what else is making news in the world of politics. And we begin, Caroline, with a Harry Dunn case.
3: Yes, indeed. His mother has once again called for the suspect in his death to face the UK justice system.
0: We need to move on. She needs to move on with her life. We need to re-
2: rebuild ours. But without her going through the UK justice system, that
3: can't be done. Well, a lawyer for Anne Sekoulas has revealed that she is willing to perform community service in the U.S. She returned there claiming diplomatic immunity after her car collided with the uh, motorbike of the 19-year-old just outside a military base in Northamptonshire back in 2019.
1: Meanwhile, the fallout from Greensill Capital's collapse into administration continues to mount, with 5,000 UK jobs potentially at risk. Unions are set to meet executives from Sanjeev Gupta's steel and aluminium empire after it emerged the GFG Alliance 2 faced insolvency without the firm's financing. GFG, whose plants include UK's Liberty Steel, reiterated their operations were running as normal.
3: Meanwhile, the other huge news, it's understood that the Queen has held crisis talks with members of her family and royal aides over how to respond to Meghan and Harry's bombshell television interview. Uh, Their conversation with Oprah has been praised by the US President's Office, whilst Labour says that the allegations surrounding racism must be looked into by Buckingham Palace. Boris Johnson, though, refused to comment on the issue yesterday. The Justice Secretary, Robert Buckland, has now been asked for his view.
4: Well, I support the work of the Queen and the royal family. The hard work that they put in uh, every year, even during the Covid crisis, is well chronicled. And that uh, element of public duty uh, is at the heart of what makes the monarchy work here in the United Kingdom.
1: And the interview has also resulted in a heated exchange between Piers Morgan and the Good Morning Britain weatherman, Alex Beresford, on live TV. Piers stormed off the set on air today after being accused of unfairly trashing Meghan Markle. After publicly disagreeing on Twitter in the days leading up to the interview, the pair continued to clash in the studio this morning, with Alex branding his colleague, diabolical. The weatherman also suggested Piers, who's previously recalled going to the pub with Meghan Markle ahead of her date with Prince Harry, had taken issue with being cut off by the Duchess.
3: Mm. So, uh, that uh, in terms of uh, the news this morning, uh, well, uh, also fascinating, Roger, because there is now a new YouGov poll around the attitude of Britons to that interview that was first aired in the UK last night at 9pm. So, the YouGov poll says that a third of Britons have no sympathy at all for Harry and Meghan. Uh, So, that uh, in terms of the latest in terms of polling. Well, speaking of which, um, we have a of course with us this morning, Opinion Research Manager Priya Minas uh, who's joining us to talk not just about um, you know, opinion polling to do with that latest interview but more importantly perhaps on the budget. Rishi Sunak may have got the immediate approval of the public according to polls from Opinion but the government uh, struck a false note when it comes to the smaller than hopeful recommended rise in NHS pay. Almost half of those surveyed even approved of a separate tax to fund the NHS NHS. Priya, great to have you on the programme this morning. So, did the government badly misjudge public sentiment when it comes to the NHS? We were just speaking to a Conservative MP a few moments ago who was saying essentially there isn't enough money, but the public doesn't seem to agree. Yeah, the public doesn't seem to
2: agree. That proposed 1% pay rise for the nurses is just something that is not acceptable to the public when we polled them on it. Um, And and just to show how strong that sentiment is, 72% think that that pay rise is too low. And let me just emphasise here, that is a really high figure. We we very rarely get a polling number that is usually that high. And that Mm -hmm. is felt across all um, political voters. So even Conservative voters, a majority, think that that bump is too low. Um, And just kind of to give you a point of comparison there of of how strong that sentiment is, that 72% is higher than the number of people who thought the Dominic Cummings trip um, last year was justified or who thought he should have resigned. Um, Mm. And. To illustrate the point further, there were further questions we asked beyond just do you think it is too high, do you think it is too low. Um, So firstly, we asked about what people thought the government should be spending on and increasing salaries for the NHS staff came second highest of everything that we asked. And the only thing that was in front of that was the more general improving NHS and social care services. So it's really Mm -hmm. apparent there that to the public, they think more money should be invested um, in NHS staff and in the NHS. And the way that they feel about that, when we asked about the emotions they felt when they saw that 1% pay rise, so the top emotions people spoke about was actually feeling anger and actually feeling upset. And again, even amongst Conservative voters, these were two of the strongest words that came out. Um, and alongside that, that is why we're also seeing a lot of people saying, actually, if mm-hmm. you know nurses were to go on strike over this pay rise, a small, small majority say that they would support that. And gotcha. they're is more of a political divide on that question, obviously. So, you know, Tory voters are actually still more likely to say they oppose it, but it's really rare to see the public supporting the idea of a strike, which, again, just illustrates sort of that strength of opinion there.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely extraordinary. They would support an NHS strike too, which is almost unheard of. But uh, let's uh, dig further into the general feelings that you discovered about what was in the budget. I mean, there was a lot in it to do with extending furlough and other things. What sense did you get with the overall feeling about the budget?
2: Actually, the the budget went really positively um, for the Conservatives among the public. So the majority actually approved of it, uh, with a net approval of an incredible plus 40. So that is a good sign for the Tories, as that's not that common for them. And they got good marks across all of the policies that we tested. So in every case, more people thought that the policies announced were a good idea rather than a bad idea. And that includes overwhelming support for the corporation tax hike and also freezing uh, the personal tax threshold. So the chancellor here, he has managed to pull together a set of economic policies that are seen as being both good for the economy by the public. But actually, unlike many previous conservative budgets, the majority also describe these policies as being fair. So the budget is one area that actually, from initial impressions. Um, the public have reacted really well to that. But obviously, we've got a caveat here that those are first impressions and they don't always count for much with budgets as what may seem like a good idea at first may unravel over time um, as more becomes apparent about the actual policies themselves and the effects that they have.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's perhaps the most striking thing, wasn't it, about that kind of week where you had the budget and then the NHS announcement and the kind of uh, the difference in public reaction there. Is there, in your view, though, a north south divide i mean so much is talked about you know the has been talked about the leveling up agenda or the fact simply that a lot of regions in the uk because of the pandemic have leveled down is there a north south divide in terms of how the budget was received
2: it was received well pretty much across the board Um, and i think alongside the budget we've also got to appreciate that at this time a lot of um the way that the public is reacting to the government is obviously also based on everything that's going on with coronavirus just Mm. because that is so present across everybody's lives so you know alongside us seeing how well received the budget is at the same time we're seeing how the public are reacting to the way that the government continues to handle the coronavirus pandemic um the vaccine rollout but also importantly at the moment the roadmap to get out of this situation Um, And pretty much across the board and across most regions, we are seeing support for that. Um, And we are seeing people saying that they think that roadmap to get out of this situation is um, about the right pace, which is a turn from last year. So last year, the government really was on the back foot regarding the way that they handled the pandemic. Um, You know, the public thought that they were underreacting, that they were bringing in Mm. policies too slowly, that they were bringing in lockdowns later than they should have, and that they just weren't handling the pandemic well overall. And really, it's been this vaccine rollout boost that has turned the fortunes for the government. So now we're lead conservatively of um, seven points over Labour. Um, and a lot of that has also, you know, chimed in with approval ratings we've seen for the way that the government has handled the vaccine rollout. Um, mm. And also we've seen that in terms of Boris Johnson's job approval figures as well. Like, actually, that's been very closely linked to the way that the coronavirus pandemic has been handled. So mm. he's currently only just in negative territory uh, for his approval ratings. He's actually been in negative territory since May 2020, um, which, again, matches, um, you know, the coronavirus pandemic handling ratings. But we've been seeing improvements for him and we may yeah. well end up seeing him in positive territory very soon if that trajectory continues. Pri- so, Priya, yeah, a- pretty much in terms of... Sorry, I
1: was going to say, what, what, when you're talking about that, what about uh, the, the, the approval ratings for Rishi Sunak? Are you getting a sense of how he matches up to that uh, approval from Bojo?
2: He actually, this whole time, so we have been monitoring his approval rating since the pandemic. Um, and out of all the leading conservative um, members in government, he has always polled the best so far. And, you know, this budget has been really well received as well. So his ratings continue to do well. Out of everyone, he is the one that is in positive territory and is seen positively so far by the public.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And just in terms of the kind of lockdown easing, um, how is that being viewed? I mean, obviously, now that schools have reopened, um, just tell us your view on, on, on the reopening roadmap. The reopening has actually been received well compared
2: to the previous two um, reopenings that have happened. So back um, in 2020 summer, when they were easing lockdown then and the Christmas unlocking, Voters were very sceptical both times of those um, those roadmaps and actually felt that those rollouts were too quick and that actually those lockdowns did not have been lifted that far. So Actually, this time the government's plan roadmap has been received much better and actually most voters think that the government is going about the right pace. But I think it's also important here to that the government has said um, you know like that roadmap is there, but it very well may be adjusted. Um, at the yeah. different points if they do feel that the data um, is showing that you know we need to slow down the rate of um, yeah. lifting lockdown. So I think that is also yeah. playing into the way that people are thinking about that roadmap. They, they, they've heard that message and they do know that there may be um, flexibility there and I think yeah. that is also what is playing into more people this right. time feeling a bit more secure about it.
1: Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
0: From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang.